It's Mental Health Chat Monday, the brand new version, honey. This is a series where we sit down with a brand new guest every week to discuss their journey with mental illness and mental wellness. Because here on Mental Health Chat Monday, our motto is turning mental illness into mental wellness. My name is DJ Bionic. Thank you so very much for tuning in today, wherever you're listening or watching. Uh, but you know me, you know about me, you know all my links are down below. I'm at Bionic on everything. It's called branding, look it up. But that's not why we're here today. Today, we are here to sit down with the very first family member I've had on the pod. My auntie is here in the house, hey. y'all. My auntie Robin is here. Hi. Hi. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm just Peach King. Good. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm glad I, I'm here. I'm so glad. I thought about doing a season of just like just family, but I don't want to tie myself to anything. But I'm glad you reached out to me and wanted to be on the podcast because yes. I was like, I don't know who to ask. I don't. It. It's an interesting thing. Uh, everything that I'm learning about the guests that I've had on the podcast. So I can't wait to talk to you about your story and your Good. journey and everything that's happening. Absolutely. So I start this. Oh, actually, introduce yourself to the people. Let everybody know. I obviously already told you my auntie, but tell them who you are. Tell them about yourself. Okay. Um, this is my first time doing a pod, so forgive me. <laughs> um, but I'm Robin Warner. I'm Darius's auntie. My brother Derek is Papa, of course. That's my dad. And I am just excited to be here. I am a mother of five, grandmother of seven. Seven. Uh, yes, seven, seven. One of them is my god grandbaby, but that's okay. But we She's take seven. those too. Yes, we take uh -huh. them all. Um, let's see. What about me? Wow, that's a shame, y'all. I don't get to talk about me too much. Well, that's what this is about. Uh, talk about I yourself, know, right? Wow. <laughs> uh, I am a writer. I am an author, an artist. I like to sing. I like to dance. Uh, I love family. Everything family, all things family. I'm it. I'm over it. Um, as I've gotten older, though, I can't really do amusement parks and stuff like I used to. But, man, back in the day, I would love to go to Six Flags. Mm -hmm. love to ride the different rides, different things of that nature. I can still do the face painting and do the, um, what do you call it, where you do the games on the side to win the mm -hmm. little bears and animals and whatever. I'll still do all of that. And I just did my very first caricature. Out of Six Flags. Ooh. I wish I had the picture, but it was amazing. Um, I just like life, and, and I like family. I like all things family. I like for people to be loved, feel loved, embrace loved, be open, be free. You know, I love my nephew because he's so open and free, and I love that about him <laughs> so much, I promise. Um, because people just need to be true to themselves. You know, mm -hmm. people are always saying, be your authentic self, but... Yeah, I like when people are true to themselves. Yeah. And then that's your authentic self. That I can appreciate. So I feel like a lot of times when people say, be your authentic self, they want you to be what they think your yes, authentic self is. I agree. I and agree. We don't do so I'll chat more about me later as it come up, because as you can tell, I have no practice in talking about myself. <laughs> but that's okay. We're going to get better. We're going we gonna to unlock that for you, because yes. I love to talk about myself. I don't know if you've... <laughs> I don't know if y'all know, but I would talk about me all day long. Good. One of the good, first things I learned uh, a couple years ago, I was signed with a modeling agency I, or a modeling and talent agency. Okay. Um, did a couple commercials, did some really fun stuff with them. Great people. West Model and Talent Management, if you're in St. Louis and you're looking for representation, 
fabulous people to work with. Very, very nice, very sweet. I remember right before I stepped away, so I, after the pandemic, I kind of, I was like already at this place where I didn't want to act anymore. Mm. And I didn't think that necessarily translated to not wanting to do film because like film and theater are completely different beasts. Okay. And of course, 2020 happened and we all had time to sit back and think about the things we wanted to do with our lives. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm, I don't think I'm fulfilled by this anymore. So earlier in the pandemic, my agent called me and was just like, hey, how are you? Hmm. How are you feeling? I, I know that this is a hard time for everybody. Um, you know, the, here's where I'm at. And like, I'm, I was not expecting it. She was like, I'm just going through the roster of all our talent and calling everybody to check on them because I know as artists, it's hard when you're not working and it's hard. You know, this whole lot thing is hard. We're all locked at home. Mm-hmm. And we had to like had like a 20, 20, 30 minute conversation wow. just about mental health. Interesting. And so I highly recommend them to anybody if you're looking for a talent agency. But beside that, it. One of the first things I learned when I signed on with them, I did this modeling and acting class and she was like, you're the product. Like you physically are the product. So you have to know how to sell yourself. You have to know how to Mm. talk about yourself. So I was like, okay. So I took that into my life and now. You're all pro. Look, (laughs) I sit down to talk about myself all day long. Too much sometimes. Uh, So I like to start every episode with the same question. Mental health check. Where are you? How's 2023 treating you? How are you today? Ooh, so 2023 is treating me a lot better than 2022. Love to hear that. Um, I'm not where I want to be, so I'm a work in progress. Mm -hmm. But I'm definitely not in that dark place of 22. Mm. So today, I'm good. Good. I'm good. Good. I'm. I feel like 2022 was a harder year for people than 2020 was, and I. A lot of it probably has to deal with, and I can't speak for you, we'll talk about it a little later, but uh, coming out of the pandemic and like realizing that things are different mm-hmm. has been hard. It's been a hard adjustment. I work in a restaurant. It's been a hard adjustment for people to just be like, not go back to normal because I think some things that changed needed to change, mm-hmm. but... I feel like the world wasn't ready to change with it. That would be true. And we're we're still working out those kinks. So let's get a little bit into talking about you. So okay. first question, have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness? If you're comfortable talking about it or if not, do you feel like you have had symptoms or anything of that nature? Um, to answer your question, yes. Um, I've actually had several diagnoses. Uh, the first one came early on. I was diagnosed with anorexia. Mm. I was probably about 12 or 13. Oh my God. Um, it was a very stressful time for a teenager. So when these kids are walking around talking about their stress, yeah, it's real. Yeah. (laughs) It's real. It really is. Um, so I was diagnosed with uh, anorexia. Uh, it was hard for me because then when I got to 17 and got pregnant, I was 100 pounds pregnant and the doctors made a conversation with me and they said hey if you don't gain some weight you're gonna lose your baby and it was like oh my god I don't want to lose my baby but I didn't know how to gain weight mm-hmm. you know and then I had really bad morning sickness oh my god I had morning sickness like 
for six months, seven months. I had really all day sickness because it was not just in the morning. And that was really a struggle. And so it was hard because back then, you're talking about 1985. Mm -hmm. It's not like it is in 2023. No. So people were like, ain't nothing wrong with you. You just need to eat, you know. Mm -hmm. You're not sick. Suck it up. Toughen up. And it's like, wait, no, this is real. I can't function. Yeah. I can't get out of bed. I couldn't smell air. I couldn't eat anything. When I drank water, I'm going I'm to tell you, it was so bad. I couldn't stand my own saliva in my mouth. Oh, my God. Every time I was spitting, 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 spitting. I was like, oh, this is not life. This can't be. And the doctor, he said, hey, you know what? You're really at a critical point. We're about to put you in the hospital. We can't have you. You're not going to carry the baby. You're going to lose the baby because you're dehydrated. You know, so so not eating and drinking also created other problems. You're, mm -hmm. you're dehydrated. Uh, you're not nourished. You're anemic. Mm -hmm. You got all of these issues. And now, you know, and you were anorexic. So, yeah, and they were like, well, we're going to give this pill. Didn't work. We're going to give that shot. Didn't work. We're going to do this thing. Didn't work. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. Um, I can safely say, well, I'll go with the diagnosis first. Um, so that was that. That was back when I was between 12 and 17. Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with the anorexia. Um, I entered into therapy because I was really concerned about myself. Mm -hmm. And by the time I delivered, I was 126 pounds. Okay. And that was it. When they say you was all stomach, that's all, all I had. <laughs> I have, you look at me from the back, you couldn't tell I was pregnant. You turn around and see me from the front, just a little pooch called mm. a belly, and that was it. Um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, I was a victim of a date rape situation, mm. and I got pregnant for the second time. And so it sent me into a deep abyss of I don't even know what you want to call it, but the doctors diagnosed it as PTSD slash trauma slash depression mm -hmm. type of thing. So I was like, okay, fine. What do we do to fix it? Went back in therapy for the second time. Um, that was probably a harder pill to swallow because I didn't want to accept at that point that I was in this place again. Mm -hmm. I was no longer anorexic. In fact, that pregnancy was probably one of the most healthiest pregnancies that I had. I was able to eat. I was able to drink. I was able to move around. I was gaining weight. Life was great, except for that one little part mm -hmm. where it wasn't so great how I conceived. So that was the second time. So now you have depression and first you have anorexia. Then now you have some PTSD with the trauma and now you have depression. Mm -hmm. So, okay, fine. Life goes on, and I'm, I'm a single parent trying to make it happen, going on with life, and here we go. I get pregnant again with Maya, my third, my first daughter. And that was just a lot going on during that time because I honestly didn't want a little girl because my drawback was I don't want her to be like me. Mm. I felt like I was so tainted mm -hmm. and so damaged and so less than. I just didn't want her to be like me. So I felt like, to me, I was doing the world a disservice by carrying a daughter. And I really, really struggled. Like in that pregnancy, I struggled. 
Um, and it was weird because I would go to the doctors and you're talking about back in 19 in the 90s. All they want to do is stick a pill down your throat. Mm -hmm. Okay, this pill's not helping me. I'm not crazy, but I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know how to really advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to say what I needed because I didn't work in the mental health field. So I don't know what I need. Right. I'm just going to the doctor thinking this is where I'm supposed to go. This is where I'm supposed to be. These are the things I'm supposed to say. And doctor, you need to do some things. So help me. Didn't help me. So um, I went back into therapy again um, and I was di diagnosed with um, depression and general anxiety mm -hmm. disorder. Um, and I knew why, because I didn't want to bring a girl into the world. I knew why I was anxious about it. I wanted to be a good parent, but I didn't know how to be that because of what I felt about myself. You're talking about a young kid who pretty much were raised by their siblings. Um, parents, for whatever the reason, weren't available. Mm -hmm. Mom, dad weren't available. Um, I went through this really bad place of not wanting to have this daughter to bring into this world because I didn't want her to have my experiences. You're talking about somebody who, as a young kid, was teased and taunted because I had emotion because I showed emotion. Um, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's get with the diagnosis. Let's get through that first. We'll get to the other stuff. Hopefully I won't forget. Um, and so I'm, I'm about to have child three and the situation behind her conception wasn't all that great. Um, it was someone that I thought I would build a future with and that didn't work out. In fact, when they, when they found out I was pregnant, they basically shunned me, mm. like discarded me like I wasn't anything. And it was like, wow. And so, of course, for me, I went back into therapy because mm -hmm. now I can't handle rejection very well because really, what are we doing? Um, and so that's probably where my real frustration with therapy came in, probably around the 2000s, because I realized you're not helping me. Mm. And then it was like, well, you're not of my race. You don't look like me. Mm -hmm. So then I began to find someone who looked like me. Then it was, well, you're a man and I'm a female and I'm having female issues. And some of those issues are about men or mm -hmm. from men. You're not helping me. So let me find a female black therapist yeah. and then get to that part. And it's like back, you're talking about in the 2000s. It's not a lot of female black therapists. I'm surprised you were find, able to find a black male therapist. Yeah, I found a black male one. Um, those were not, that wasn't as hard as the black female. And so it was like, well, I'm on my own. And so around this time, I started going back to school. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just go and take psychology as a major. You know, help my community. Give these young black females coming up something to look forward to. So anyway, got the... Um, Reaff reaff reaffirmation of the general anxiety, the depression as my um, clinical diagnosis and they started me on every kind of medicine. I kind of almost wish I had the list of medicine, not because I'm bragging about it, but just because of the over medication mm -hmm. of mental health yeah. and mental wellness. Yeah. That part. I took so much medicine. And it still didn't help. Yeah. At all. Like it didn't even scratch the surface. So fast forward. 
And now I'm pregnant with daughter number two, child number four. And I'm back in therapy again because then I'm with their dad and the situation again, not ideal. And now I'm feeling rage and violence now. <laughs> so I go back into therapy and I have, the, they, they start uh, throwing out these um, terms of uh, defiance and uh, obsessive compulsive and mm -hmm. just all these things. To me, it just felt like they were grasping at straws. Yeah, they were just trying, just trying to, to find something. Something else to medicate you about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, shortly after that, I ended up pregnant with my last daughter. And the trauma with that for me was I had to have an emergency C-section mm. twice. Well, the first one was kind of planned, but it was still an emergency because I found out at the last minute she wasn't there the right way. And so they had to appoint, uh, set an appointment to do the emergency C-section. Mm -hmm. The other one, I was supposed to have a vaginal birth after the first C-section and ended up having to have an emergency C-section. I'm talking about coding on the table. Ooh. I'm talking about, you know, having an allergic reaction to the medicine because now you've over medicated me. Mm -hmm. All these things now sets my mental health spiraling down again. The doctor says, hey, you can't get back on this table. You get on this table again, we can't guarantee you're gonna get off. I said, well, I tell you what, go on and tie them to and do all of that. Sew it up. <laughs> Sew it up, take it all out if you can. We good. And so after that, I went back into therapy again because I didn't believe in abortions. I didn't believe in, in uh, female castration, as they call it. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe in tying my tubes. I felt like if I got pregnant, it was God's will, and that was the baby that was supposed to come. Let them come, I'm gonna take care of them. But that was not what was to happen with my life. So anyway, um, fast forwarding, because I'm getting to the last diagnosis, fast forward uh, 10 years or so, and I'm back in therapy again. And for me, life just wasn't adding up for me. And I was just seeking answers. I couldn't focus. I couldn't concentrate. My mind was running a thousand miles a minute. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't turn my brain off. You know, I was taking all kind of sleep aids, all kind of, uh, um, I would call them mood altering psychotics, because that's what they basically were, mm -hmm. to try to slow my mind down. And my mind was probably pretty much like, nope. Matter of fact, we gonna kick it in overdrive. So it was like my body fighting against all of this different medicine and all this stuff that was going on. So they said, well, your anxiety is a little bit more than general. And they start putting all these extra words and loops on the anxiety. And it's like, whatever, can you just give me something that works? That's all yeah. I care about. Mm -hmm. I'm not sleeping, I'm not this, I'm not that. That's all I care about, give me something to work. So then of course you hit that glorious age of about 45, 47, and you go through the change of life. <laughs> so menopause hits and it's like right in the middle of all of this, or are you freaking serious? <laughs> so go through all of that, which already doesn't help mental states when yeah. you're going through menopause. Uh -huh. So now I'm hypersensitive. Now I'm self-conscious about how I look again. Now nothing I do is good enough. And it's like, mm -hmm. Jesus, help me, Lord. Really, can over I here minute, again. Please. Yes, can I just get a place to breathe? So I'm a proponent of the doctor. So I went back to the doctor again. Here we are. This is what's going on. So this was maybe last year. So I'm all the way up to this last year. And I was at the doctor's again, like, hey, mental health ain't doing it. 
what's going on, what's happening. I mean, y'all keep popping these pills. I'm, I'm just not understanding. I'm not getting any relief. So me and the doctor started having a conversation. And by the time we were done with this particular conversation, which was over the over about an hour, which was shocking for a doctor, um, he brought up a term called bipolar depression. Mm -hmm. Now, I had never heard of that. I'm like, well, what is that? I knew what bipolar was, but I didn't know what bipolar depression was. Mm -hmm. And so basically bipolar depression is a form of depression that goes from one extreme to the other. You'll either be extremely happy, giddy, euphoric, over the top, mm -hmm. and then you crash. And now you're lower than low, bottom, bottomless pit, in the abyss of God only knows what. Mm -hmm. So depressed you can't even pick your head up to go to the bathroom, let alone eat, let alone work, function, do anything else. I'm like, oh my God, are we serious? But as he began to talk about it and describe it, I began to identify. Oh, yeah. Thank God. That sounds, That's how I feel. Yeah. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, wow. Seriously? Yeah. Let's go. What are we going to do? Because <laughs> believe it or not, you're talking about 40 years or more of trying to figure out what it was. Yeah. And getting all these pieces of names and pieces of it was true just not all of it to get to here and oh now we got a whole pie mm -hmm. now we got a whole piece of a thing what can we do so they gave me this medication and if i think about it long enough i'm gonna remember what it was <laughs> and life-changing like oh my god i was able to sleep at night i'm talking about through the night i wake up in the morning and life was like Oh, this is what getting getting sleep feels like. Oh, this is what waking up not in a bad mood feels like. Oh, this is what wanting to get up and go to work and seize life, not just the day, <laughs> seize life. Oh, this is what it looks like. Interesting. Till about three weeks. Then I start having reactions to the medicine. No. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. You didn't think this was going to be easy, did you? Oh, it never is. I started itching under my skin. The hives, the welts, the bruising. I was like, are you serious? I had no other adverse effect from the medicine. Everything, else, everything that that medication was supposed to do, it did. Mm -hmm. Until I started itching. And I couldn't take it no more. So after about maybe six months, I had to stop taking it because the itching, it was mm -hmm. too much all day. I'm scratching like I got fleas. I'm itching everywhere. You can't be in public scratching like that. <laughs> Not like that. Mm -mm. Not like that. And people going to be like, oh, what you got? Right. You know, so anyway, so that was the uh, last diagnosis that I got as of 2022. Now, I'm of the opinion, like I said, with everything that I've been through with pieces, 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 I'm really of the opinion that that was probably that diagnosis is probably more true mm -hmm. to what I suffer than everything else combined. Yeah. So I am uh, in the process of seeking out another psychiatrist slash therapist, whatever, doctor, whatever, 
to try to see if there are other medicines similar to the one that I had that mm -hmm. maybe don't have those effects. Maybe if it's a lower dose, maybe it's just, if it's a different, um, the way you take it mm -hmm. to just see if I can handle it in a different way because it really did help. Yeah. Like it really did. And so I was concerned when I had to abruptly stop taking it because I'm like, oh God, the downside yeah. versus the upside. But I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of that. So I was grateful. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't make me feel medicated. When I took it, I couldn't tell that I took it until I was being peaceable with people around me. Mm -hmm. Then it was like, oh, I must be feeling good today. <laughs> Oh, so those are my diagnosis over all those years, mm -hmm. all those different pieces. So, yes, by very many doctors um, for very different reasons uh, in various situations. Mm -hmm. But those are my diagnosis. So, y'all, this is all brand new news to me. Um, not news, but like... I. I'm trying to put the words together. My brain is not like wanting to put them together. At any point in in this journey that you have been on, this journey to mental wellness, it, especially as black people, you know, we don't talk about it. Like you say, you know, toughen up. Right. You know, what you got to be upset about? You know, did, at any point, did you feel supported by our family? Did you feel? Did you feel left out? Did you feel like? How was the world around you affecting also this this pain that you were going through for all these years? So the funny thing about family, especially our family, uh, but to answer your question, I tried to keep it from my family, from mm -hmm. our family, mm -hmm. as much as I could. And I know that's largely because as a child growing up in our family, I was teased a lot, mm -hmm. a lot, where it's traumatic. Mm -hmm. And no, I'm not going to tell you I'm having a mental crisis or a mental issue or a mental situation and then feel like you're going to tease me more. So no, I kept silent. Mm -hmm. So they didn't know. Um, some of my friends knew. Um, my partners definitely knew because they probably got the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure my kids knew something, even if they couldn't identify what, yeah. because they also got the brunt of it. But no, they didn't. And so what I found as my coping mechanism is that I threw myself into my work. Mm -hmm. I worked, I worked, I worked. So if you didn't see me, I was at work. If you saw me, I was at church. If you saw me, I was at home. I didn't allow people to come by my house. I didn't engage. I didn't go to functions. No, mm -hmm. because I could not handle the triggers. And when you have someone as a child, you know, you think, you know, it's, it's hard with this part. And I got to try to make sure I don't get emotional because as kids, you have that natural teasing and taunting you get mm -hmm. from your siblings. Mm -hmm. But when you don't when they don't understand how that triggers you mm -hmm. and how that's trauma for you mm -hmm. and they tease you, they don't understand the magnitude of what that does to you. Yeah. And so for me. It was like, mm -mm. I remember what you did when I was younger and I'm traumatized and I'm triggered. So I can't talk to you. And oh, they would try to, oh, I love you and let come over and let's go. Mm -mm. We don't I'm have good. that kind of relationship. Because I'm already triggered. Mm -hmm. I'm already traumatized. 
might have to do that as a different podcast by itself. Listen, Cheers listen. Cheers and trauma back. It's going to be by itself, okay? Listen. But anyway, stay on track. I'm trying to stay focused. But to answer your question, no, I did not bring any of my family into it because I felt like they were the source of part of what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And so anybody who was the source didn't get to have access. Just as simple as that. Yeah, I They didn't I get to have to access. Mm -hmm. um, and so it to me, it was not embraced in the community mm -hmm. because as a black community, unfortunately, we look at mental illness and mental wellness and mental health as something we want to talk about, but not really. Yeah. I can topically talk about it, but if I got to take that Band-Aid off and if I got to dig in that wound and clean it out, mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about that. Yes. I just want to talk about, let's put a Band-Aid over it and that's it. Sweep it under the rug. Yes. Keep on moving. Put it in the closet mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, and that's it. And so, no, I, I could not. Um, I feel like my job suffered a lot mm -hmm. because I was there, but I wasn't there. I was mentally checked out. And sometimes I was over the top checked out. Sometimes I was under the bottom checked out. Now, what's funny is I got up and went to work every day. Mm -hmm. I performed every day. I got excellent reviews because I'm a low-key obsessive compulsive person. Mm -hmm. I'm bound and determined to do what's right. You're not going to tell me I did a bad job. Uh -huh. If anything, you're going to tell me I did a great, phenomenal job. You're not going to tell me I did anything badly. But that was me overcompensating mm -hmm. for that lack. I could never just be me. Mm -hmm. I always had to be above and beyond. I always had to be somebody else. I felt like almost I had to be somebody else. Don't know who she is, but she wasn't me. Mm -hmm. So to me, the community did not um, embrace it as they should have. And that was one of the reasons why I did really want to come and do this podcast with you today, because I wanted to give it from an older person's perspective mm -hmm. to let people to let the younger folks understand and know. You're not alone. It's real. Mm -hmm. If we ever really want to talk about it, yeah. it's real. And you guys have way much more resources and avenues than we had. Mm -hmm. We had to suck it up. Yeah. We had to not talk about it. We had to hide it. Whereas you guys don't have to. You know, they got those wonderful little catchphrases. I'm going to take a mental health day. I'm going to, you know, I'm not feeling it today. I'm just going to, you know, defragment and I'm just going to, you know, close myself off. Yeah, we couldn't do that mm -hmm. coming up. What you mean? You better get up and go to school. You don't let your school call me and tell me you're not at school and your grades surely better not fall. Mm -hmm. You know, those were the threats that mom gave from the top. Don't you dare come in here with no bad grace. Don't you let the school call me and tell me you're not doing anything. But nobody ever asked, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Are you okay? Are you all right? We won't even get into a lot of the mental health issues even came from within the family. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to touch this and then I'm going to get off of it because I want to stay on track with what we're talking about. But when you have... I don't have a nice way to say it, so forgive me if I say this poorly. But when you have incest mm -hmm. and people who are supposed to be trusted family mm -hmm. violating that trust, it only perpetuates what's already there. Yeah. It only makes the depression worse and it makes the anxiety worse. And it makes the dealing with things worse because now this is uncle. This is 
stepbrother, this is cousin. Mm -hmm. And now I can't trust myself around any of the men in my family. And it's supposed to be my family. And this is supposed to be my blood. Mm -hmm. Not just my family. I'm talking about my blood. You're supposed to be ride or die for me. Mm -hmm. And you're the reason I'm in the shape that I'm in. And then to go to people, those mothers, those uh, quote unquote trusted family members and tell them of these violations and they don't believe you. Are you sure that's what happened? Or are you sure you didn't do and you didn't say and you didn't? And it's like, really? Okay. I'm 10. I'm 5. I'm 12. Are you kidding me? I'm fighting for my life and now I have to fight for you to believe me? No. No. Mm -mm. I, didn't, I didn't. That was one of the main reasons why I did not go around my family and to this day still won't. And... Don't take my kids around them either. Mm -hmm. If they choose to and they're older, feel free. But for me, no, I'm not volunteering that. Yeah. I there's this there's this thing in the black community where we are almost required to put our family above everything else and anybody else, no matter what they do to us. And I think us as the younger generation will not accept that anymore. Mm -hmm. That's why you hear things like no contact. I went no contact with so-and-so. Yeah. Because you hurt me and I'm, I'm honored to have you here today to say everything that you're saying right now because y'all didn't get the choice. Truly, and, and I think that's something that we as a younger generation need to understand as well, is that you didn't have a choice in not being good, like not being okay. We can't put all of the blame on our parents because their parents were not even equipped. Right. But at the same time, we have to try as hard as we can mm -hmm. to mend relationships if relationships have been broken. We have to try as hard as we can to impart that knowledge on our parents. Mm -hmm. I have these beautiful conversations with my mom all the time. And my mom never hurt me. Right. Like, I that that's my peace. Right. But I've always been able to have those conversations with her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our family is our family. And they are who they are. And <laughs> there's a reason I don't really go around um, you know, I have, I have my select few that I carry very close to me and, you know, that is what it is. But mm -hmm. it, I think we need to not, not necessarily dead this idea, but we really need to understand that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. But as a hurt person, I don't have to accept that you're hurt. Right. That's correct. It's not my place to accept your hurt. And that I think we had pretty sure I had this conversation with a, a person on the podcast earlier. Like you are, you have been abused. You've been hurt. You have been torn apart, but that doesn't give you carte blanche to just do that to everybody else. That's right. It doesn't. And sorry, I can be here for you. I can help you as to a point. Mm -hmm. And then I got to let it go. Yeah. And it's not on me as the younger, as the child in the situation. Mm-hmm. To heal that. Right. Child, uh-uh. I didn't ask to be here. <laughs> I didn't ask I, I didn't ask for any of it. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, some of our parents are beautiful and they, they do everything they can and, and they heal and they grow and they change and they listen. Some of them don't. Right. And you have to leave them where they are. And you have to leave them where they are. That's the motto I've developed now. See people for where they are and leave them there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From a distance. Yes. What was that? What they say in that Medea play? That's the kind of stuff you watch from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So, I want to jump back a little bit. Okay. When you were interest- introducing yourself, you talked about being a writer. Um, and I knew this, but I didn't know the breadth of your okay. your writing past, your present. Where are you with that journey? And how has mental your journey to mental health and wellness affected that? Because trust me, I, I know how it's affected mine. So I know it is probably... So initially, the writings were from experience. Mm-hmm. I'm hurt, so I'm going to vent. I'm going to write. That was my therapy. Let me write what I feel. Mm-hmm. And... My daughter doesn't know this part, but I had some very graphic poems Mm -hmm. that were reflective of those abuses and those traumas. As I got older, I realized you can't really say what you really want to say because maybe it's not politically correct. Maybe it will hurt somebody's feelings. Maybe it will do something that you don't want it to do Mm because you want it to help. Um, And so the changing in the writing became became, uh, very notable for me. And um, I'm supposed to be writing books and I am not very disciplined uh, in that right now and I laugh because I can see Maya either smiling or I feel her energy (laughs) because I already know Mm -hmm. Um, but the one book was supposed to be an inspirational tale of no matter what you've been through in life you get to write your story Mm. not somebody else writes your story for you um, the second book, because it was three, the second book, and I don't know if I can say it on the podcast. I'm, I will, but you can delete it if it's inappropriate. Oh, no. It's no, um, no such thing as inappropiate here on the Mitchell Health Monday podcast. But um, the name of the book that is the most dearest to me is The Life and Times of a Young Black Woman in an Ongoing Shitstorm. Mm. Because that's what I felt like my life was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just because it was shitty. It was a storm. And that meant high winds. That meant hail. That meant rain, snow, hurricane, tornado, lightning, thunder, whatever. That was it. Um, And that book was just really kind of an auto vibe of just saying, these are the things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. But not just what happened to me, but this is how I overcame it. Yeah. Not really to inspire, but just to say, if you've been through something like this, just know you can do something else. It doesn't have to be the end for you. Mm -hmm. It wasn't very inspirational, I don't think. It wasn't very churchy. I don't feel it was just very raw. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that I love so much because I like being raw. And I understand you have to do stuff to help people's feelings, but I want it to be raw. Let's be for real, you know. And so the inspirational one, because I wrote several newsletters for a couple of churches that I was a member of and I liked that inspirational writing and so I did want to inspire mm-hmm. so even if the the raw book didn't have a lot of inspiration I wanted just an inspirational book for people to be able to pick up and say I'm having a bad day let's go flip to things that address having a bad day oh okay 
and know that these are real life, real time experiences, not just something somebody made up that sounded good, uh -huh. but something that was reflective of an experience somebody really had. And hey, it might match mine. That part. Um, and then the other one was more of an adult themed vibe. Mm -hmm. And so it was because in all those years, you know, you have to understand as a person who is uh, sexually active, you create and ingest a lot of experiences from those traumas, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. They begin to mix and you begin to do all kind of stuff. Uh, people, they would call it back in my day, kinky or freaky. I don't know what they call it now. But it's still called kinky. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this was like where the ladies say, make you want to clutch your pearls. You know, that's, yeah, it was all that. Yeah. And so it was just really, to be honest, it was just expression. Mm -hmm. It was just to get it out of my mind, get it out of my head, get it off my chest, get it out of my heart so that I could breathe. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like as long as I held it in, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. I bought a, a laptop. I bought notebooks. Got ready to start writing. And the mind went blank. Mm. And all those thoughts and experiences couldn't come back to mind. So I said, well, maybe it's just not time to write it yet. Because typically as a writer, you can... And you're going and it's like fire off your fingers. But... Mm -hmm. And it wasn't writer's block because I know the story. Right. You have the stories already. I am the story. Yeah. So it wasn't like I had to come up with it, but I just, I couldn't make that connection. So I've enlisted my daughter and another friend of mine to help me kind of pull it mm -hmm. out of me. Because for me, this is the hard part of therapy that a lot of people don't talk about either. Therapy is not just work, but it's labor intensive. Mm -hmm. And so that means you could be writing about something and you got to cry. You can be writing about something and you're angry all over again like it just happened. Mm -hmm. You can be writing about something and you're traumatized all over again. And I just think psychologically in my mind, my mind is saying, no, I don't want to go back down uh -huh. that rabbit hole. Because my concern is if I go down there. Am I going to get stuck? Am I going to get back out? Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I will. So I've been avoiding it like the plague. Mm -hmm. So that's the first time she's really heard that. But I've been avoiding it like the plague because... It's a good story and everything, and it's good for reading and everything, but it also puts a transparency on me. Mm -hmm. Then am I really ready for people to know that about me, mm -hmm. to know those things? Because guess what they're going to do? People are people, so guess what they're, they're going to do? You. They're going to judge. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be judged. I had enough of that already. Yeah. So, but anyway, I digress. Um, it's a working process. I'm really fighting myself this mm -hmm. year and last year to just start putting pen to paper. I had a uh, author who has his own publishing company reach out to me several times and say, hey, come on, let's go. I want to write your story. And it's like, no. What do you mean? You want to no, write, my story. write my story. You can't write. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I don't even, you know, and he was like, tell me a number. Give, make me an offer. And it's like, mm -mm. you stopped me at writing my story. You can't write my story. And so I'm, I'm stuck where I am presently, just trying to figure out how to begin it without uh, going down that rabbit hole, mm -hmm. even just a little bit. And what's funny is that one year when I was in college, we had to do kind of an autobiography. And that's where the title came from. And I started writing this paper and I did like 20, 30 pages and she only wanted 10. Mm -hmm. 
By the time she got done with that story, she had tears in her eyes. She's calling me. She's like, I'm giving you an A minus. And I was like, what? Why the heck are you giving me an A minus? She said, because you didn't finish. Mm. Lady. Mm. <laughs> are you serious? Where that teacher at? Where she at? Where that professor at? We need to bring her back. I don't know. Uh, Margaret Hahn. That was her. She was the sociology teacher that actually wrote the book for the class. Mm. Yeah. So I was like, I, I didn't realize I needed to finish. I thought you wanted to work and I gave you what you asked for. You said in autobiography, my life is ongoing, so where do I stop? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway. You yeah. know, that it's really <laughs> it's really funny that you bring that up because I wrote my autobiography, My Infinite Sadness, and posted the same on the wall right there. Look at it every time I do one of these. Okay. Um, and when I originally wrote the story, it ended in me ending. Mm. And in a in a in a way I wrote it that way because my, you know my big thing was when I was sending out to all my writer friends mm-hmm. all my playwright friends be like read this and tell me what you think and and you know every single one of was kind of the same thing this is beautiful but you can't end it this way and I'm like but it doesn't always happen and you know it doesn't always have a beautiful ending sometimes things are bad sometimes it ends in a bad way and they're like this is your autobiography and, and loosely but this is your autobiography mm-hmm. you know you your story didn't end like that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> I see what you're saying. I see it. No, my story mm-hmm. didn't end that way, but right. but it almost did. And they're like, but it did it. Yeah. So it's it's funny that you bring up that block because I'm, I'm on the other side of it, speaking from the other side of it, it is so beautifully cathartic to see it finish. Yeah. And... I'm fortunate enough to have produced this three times now and, and hopefully more times in the future and right. hopefully turn it into a film is really, really what I want to do with it. Um, but it was a release that I never knew I needed mm-hmm. until the end of opening night. Wow. And I and I watched this show take place and I put myself, you know, I, I'm I'm leading up to it I was proud that I had finished it I was proud that I was directing it and I was proud that I was producing it out of my own pocket and that I was proud of my team and every every single person involved in making it what it was but at the end of opening night I was proud of myself for being able to tell that story Mm -hmm. okay and to tell it without tears, mm-hmm. even with tears, there were some tears because I definitely cry every time I every. There's certain parts of the, of the play that I'm like, "Whoo, I can't get through this. <laughs> I can't make it through this." And just thinking about it makes me want to cry. Um, happy tears, but it truly and honestly, I can tell you right now, Auntie. Once you finish that book, whichever one comes first mm-hmm. will be such a release. Mm-hmm. And so, so magical in so many ways that you don't even expect yet. I believe it. I, whew. And I'm still, you know, I I still desire to write it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I want to be the first person to read it when it comes out. I want to read the first draft. All right. I'm putting you on task to make sure it happens. My cousin Maya is here. Hi, cousin. Listen, I have too much to say about this. We have to get you on the pod next time. Right. Not now. (laughs) 
So, um, I forgot what I was about to say. You talked about therapy and how helpful and not helpful therapy was at the same time. Can you talk to me a little bit more about your experience with therapy? How we always looked at therapy as a tool and everybody always talks so highly of therapy, but I know that it doesn't work for everybody. So talk to me a little bit about your experiences. So the first therapist that I went to, um, who shall remain nameless, Mm -hmm. um, decided to take advantage of me. Mm. In my uh, state, <laughs> and um, we had an inappropriate relationship for a very long time. Um, that speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. The uh, other therapists that I went to, I just felt they were um, because they weren't like me. It was a, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, but uh, that's not reality. Whose reality? Mine's or yours? Because we two different skin colors. We have two different experiences. Are you serious right now? Then another therapist told me, I can't help you. you, you I can't help you. Mm. you. You got too much going on. I can't help you. And I'm sitting there like, for real? Did you seriously tell me that? Uh, yes, you, you definitely have a lot of PTSD and trauma issues. You, you need a different kind of therapist other than me. Like literally got up, opened the door and said, have a nice day. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like. What? I said, I'll never go back. And I never did. Mm. I never did. I never trusted the process after that. Um. I saw a psychiatrist once and white man, stoic, stiff, writing down singly everything that I said. Here's a prescription for some medication. See you in three months. Oh, that's what we do? Like, that was the vibe of everybody. Mm -hmm. It was like, let me hear you talk. But when you're done, thank you for sharing. We're done. No tools, no, this is how you come back. No, this is how you address it. Mm -hmm. No, this is the direction we need to go now. No. You know, and they'll, I had a couple of them say something like, oh, journal, all right. Lady, I'm a writer by trade. Really? Do you (laughs) want to see some of the things I've written? Write it and then what? Because that was me. And then what? Mm -hmm. When I'm done writing. Now what? And the feelings are still here. And the feelings are still here. Now what? Because writing, does that's not therapy for me. Because I'm a solution-driven person. Mm-hmm. I can, you can't just tell me something and don't give me an opportunity to create a solution. Because if you tell me the door is open, I'm going to get up and close it. That's the solution. Right. The light's on. I'm going to get up and turn the light off. That's the solution. So if I tell you I'm hurting, what's the solution? Confront the person that hurt you. Yeah, okay. That didn't do, do too good for them either. And then what? Now I'm angry. Now I'm in that place all over again. Now I'm hurting. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm ready to. I never wanted to hurt myself. And I thank God for that. You know, because people talk about people being depressed and how suicidal they are. Oh, my God. I was never suicidal. Mm. Always homicidal. Mm-hmm. Always. <laughs> never wanted to kill myself. 
definitely wanted to murk a few people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that made me wonder, well, is it truly depression? Because, you know, I'm thinking because I wasn't suicidal that somehow it was not depression. Mm -hmm. Not understanding. Because, see, then when you start talking about hurting yourself, then people want to put you in hospitals and, you know, take your kids. And I honestly, I never felt suicidal. I always wanted to hurt the people that hurt me physically. I wanted to physically hurt you because you mentally or emotionally hurt me. Always. Can't do that and stay out of jail. Uh, and my kids will even tell you, orange is the new black. I will rock that jumpsuit, baby, with a smile <laughs> on my face. Because that's just how serious I was about mm-hmm. it. But again, do all of that and then what? And then what? What's going to come after this? What's going to come when it's all over said? And that's where my frustration was with the mental health uh community the mm-hmm. the doctors the the therapists the psychiatrists you know and i began to advocate for myself if you're not going to give me what i need then i don't want to come to you anymore mm-hmm. not you dismiss me i dismiss you cuz you're not giving me what i need mm-hmm. every time i would go to the kids pediatrician oh have you talked to anybody sir i'm tired of talking i need somebody who's going to do something yeah I need to do more than write something in a book, uh, connect dots off a picture, you know, all this stuff that was so disconnected. It didn't it didn't help. It just didn't help. It just didn't. So um, frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to school. I had about two and a half years worth of um, background in psychology. And right when I was ready to do the practicum to get the degree. I didn't feel like going anymore. Life happened. I had kids. I had a house to take care of. Had responsibilities. I didn't have time to mm-hmm. deal with school. So I moved past it. But I feel like at least to, to today, I have yet to find a therapist, a doctor, a clinical social worker, whatever the terms they call themselves. I have yet to find one that gets me beyond what happens after I share my feelings with you mm-hmm. and where I am and what I'm experiencing, what happens next. Everybody stops right there and I don't get to go any further. So that's where I'm stuck at. Mm-hmm. That's that threshold that mm-hmm. like just got to cross. Yep. Well, I have something, I have to have something to cross too. Mm-hmm. It's not just enough for me to cross it. I have to have somebody being able to say, okay, now we're here. Let's go here. That's, I don't get that next. I don't get the, okay, let's go here. Let's graduate from where we are. I don't get that next. So I just deal with it or not. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to let it go. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I've done in terms of therapy and psychiatry. I've just pretty much let it go. I recently signed up for, what is it, like Better Help or something? And just to... I um, definitely have probably needed a therapist for a while just to deal with my own trauma and Mm -hmm. things that happened in the past. Um, But I've done so much healing through art that I'm like, I I think I've said on almost every episode, I feel healed enough to help heal other people now. Like, (laughs) I'm like, in this really, though this week has been a really cloudy week for me and my mental health has been kind of like... But it's not as bad as it has been. Mm-hmm. 
and you know that's kind of the magic of of being mentally ill and journeying to mental wellness Mm -hmm. is like you know what the worst looks like yeah so it's like this week has been bad like i've had a pretty bad week but it's not the worst right and i don't know i guess i want to talk to somebody at objective somebody mm-hmm. outside the bounds of my life to be like here's where i'm at mm-hmm. where do i go from here yeah why can't i drive a car what's happening right <laughs> that's really where i am right now like what's going on why can't i do this mm-hmm. i know why but unlocking more of that right um so we talked also a little bit about medication earlier mm-hmm. and I almost don't even feel like I need to because you've kind of already told me. But you did talk a little bit about over-medication, which yes. is something nobody has mentioned. Yes. Um, your training in psychology, how did that... How did that help you decide, like, not necessarily decide, but realize what was over-medicating and, and what was maybe under-medicating? For me, the schooling helped in the sense of it got me to a point of realizing... I'm taking all this medicine and I'm not better. Mm-hmm. I'm taking all this medicine and I'm actually worse. Mm-hmm. That was the trigger for me. When you take a medicine that's supposed to help you sleep and it takes away the little sleep that you was getting, red flag. Mm-hmm. When you take a medicine that's supposed to help you eat, for example, and yet you realize I haven't eaten in two days. That, that's that's worse. Mm-hmm. So just paying attention to those clues. And, you know, I tell my girls this all the time. Know yourself. Know your body. Mm-hmm. Know what's right for you. Know what your normal looks like. Because nobody else is going to be able to tell you what your normal looks like because they're not your body. Right. So when I begin to realize this isn't normal, this isn't normal, that's when it was alert for me. Mm-hmm. Not somebody else saying, you tripping. What's wrong with you? Not somebody else saying, oh, we don't want to be around you. What's wrong with you? Oh, we're afraid of you. What's wrong with you? Didn't get any of that. Mm-hmm. It was me waking up in the morning realizing I haven't been asleep in three days. I haven't been asleep in seven days. I haven't been asleep in 10 days. I need to call somebody because <laughs> this is normal. Yeah. And now I'm, you know, because I haven't had sleep. Right. And my body is about to shut down. So that was that place for me. Um, And I feel like, you know, with all of the things that I learned in school, uh, just being in tune with myself, because, you know, psychology is really just the study of human behavior. Mm -hmm. So it's not some big, elaborate, fantastical term with a bunch of words you can hardly pronounce. It's just the study of human behavior. So basically, I studied my own behavior Mm -hmm. and realized you're not behaving appropriately. You're not behaving right. That's not normal. You need to alert somebody that this is what's happening and why. And when I would tell them, they're looking at me, they're like, I've had them several times. Are you a nurse? Do you work in a medical field? I was like, no. And they're looking at me like, you lying (laughs) because you know too much. No, I pay attention to me. I wasn't necessarily paying attention to everybody else Mm -hmm. although i am a trained observer i was paying attention to me yeah and i realized like i said when i wasn't eating when i wasn't sleeping when i was snapping off when i wasn't focused when i wasn't driven that's when i realized something ain't right it's not my sense of normal and that's when it made me feel like i needed to reach out and especially if i was taking medicine and you're taking the medicine two, three, four weeks, two, three, four months. No, 
no, this ain't working. Mm -hmm. And every time I would go back, the doctor's like, well, what do you mean it ain't working? It ain't working. What do you mean? What do you I mean? You told me this is what it was supposed to do. And it's not doing this. I would take like control substances to help me sleep. And would be sitting up like this. It's like, oh, it's supposed to help me sleep. I'm not even sleepy. <laughs> you know, which is scary. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, hmm. At least when I wasn't taking it, I was nodding off for an hour or two here and there. Now I'm sitting up looking at the walls. Watch your paint dry. Yeah. And the paint already dry. Yeah. Get up. I wash dishes. I cook. I clean. I watch TV. I listen to uh, biblical um, preaching and sermons. And oh my God, I would write all kinds of things and still be sitting up going. And I said, well, maybe I take two of them. That'll do it. Maybe I take three of them. That'll do it. Maybe I take four of them and that'll do it. Never did it. So I was like, well, this is pointless. <laughs> I don't want to take medicine. This is not going to help. So I stopped taking it. And the doctor, oh, you shouldn't stop taking it. It's going to give you all these side effects. It wasn't even giving me the regular effects. So I right. think I'll be okay. No <laughs> it's going to make your weight gain. Didn't gain a pound. It's going to make you lose weight. Didn't lose a pound. It's going to throw your appetite off. Appetite not thrown off. Okay. And here we are. So I feel like with the psychology and it telling you how things are supposed to be and the way the mind works and the id and the super id and the ego and the sociology and the, all of those things going together, I begin to develop this picture of, okay, this is what it's supposed to be and this is what it is. Now we know what's wrong. Let's try to make it right. Mm -hmm. Never got there. Do you feel like you're getting closer to there? Mm. The only thing I feel close to is identifying what it is that's wrong. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, from being diagnosed with anorexia and having depression and generalized anxiety, those were the beginnings to where I'm at now, where it's more of bipolar depression being the ending. Yeah, I feel like that's more true of what it is, mm -hmm. but it took years to get there. Right. It wasn't an immediate upfront diagnosis. And maybe they didn't know about it then. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But it took time to get there. So with that diagnosis part, sure, absolutely. But with the cure or the treatment mm -hmm. or the the process to better, no, absolutely yeah. not. Well, I mean, you just got a diagnosis last year, right? Yeah, just last year. So it's the beginning of the whole beginning of the process all over again. Yeah. And, I, and hearing your story is just a, it is making me think of beginning after beginning after beginning after beginning after beginning after beginning and it's like all right you can only begin so many times like we gotta yeah before you're tired of beginning yeah uh-huh and then people say why don't you do this and where's your effort and why don't you do that i'm tired of trying i'm tired of it it's it's like a hamster on the mm -hmm. wheel the gerbil on the little wheel yeah it's just going and going and going but you're not going anywhere well, I hope that this diagnosis leads to the treatment that leads to the journey so yeah. that you're not beginning anymore. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. So we're going to round things out. Here on Mental Health Chat Monday, we have a motto, and it's turning mental illness into mental wellness. Mm -hmm. I know you're at the start of your journey, but what does the end of your journey look like? What does mental wellness look like to you? Mental wellness looks like to me just accepting me for who I am. It's probably a big 
dose of acceptance mm -hmm. because I spent a lot of time, a lot of years, just not being accepted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even that it was that I was unlikable. I just wasn't accepted. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's accepting myself, whatever that looks like. If I'm mean, let's accept it. If I'm off the deep end, let's accept it. If I'm a hard pill to swallow, choke. And let's accept it. You know, <laughs> choke. Yeah. I'm just saying, let's just accept it because I can only be who I am. I can't be who you want me to be. Mm -hmm. I can only be who I am. And so, probably, like I said, a large dose of it for me would be acceptance. The other part would be uh, to be to be kind to myself in that acceptance. To um, love myself, flaws and all, unapologetically without permission mm -hmm. I mean I accept that and I mean I mean I that's that's my truth now actually I'm a certain type of way and I accept it mm -hmm. and it's who I am and I accept it and I realize some people won't be on this journey with me because they can't accept it and that's okay stay over there because I'm good over here right and so um loving on me definitely 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 I can't say it enough, love on me. Because I sought out that love so much from everybody else. Uh-huh. So much expecting mama to do it, daddy to do it, sister, brother, cousin, uncle, aunt, niece, kids, partner. It starts right here. Mm -hmm. If I can't love me, how can I expect anybody else to? Like for real. Yeah. Truly, I, I have been in a relationship now for what, four years, almost five years, something like that. And all the way up until then, I was like, I, I can't even give myself to myself. How am I going to give myself to somebody else? And it wasn't until I really did step back and be like, look, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. And I love this person mm -hmm. unconditionally mm -hmm. that my person walked into my life literally just walked in mm -hmm. and every day i feel like i discover something new about myself or i uh accept a new thing about myself or unapologetically do something that mm -hmm. i wouldn't have done before that i was too afraid to do that i was too you know it it unlocks so many things mm -hmm. and so that would probably be the biggest things for me is just that acceptance and that self-love and then um which this is a kind of a thing in my book as well what i'm about to say last um last but certainly not leastly um everybody goes through life and have a bad time like you can't live in this world and not mm -hmm. The difference is what you choose to deal with, do with it. And so what I choose to deal with it is not to be a product of my environment, mm -hmm. to not be the result of what I experienced. I choose to do more. So that's why I choose to give back. Um, I choose to help people who are like-minded or who I feel like have those traits of things that I went through and that's why I go and I encourage them and mm -hmm. I try to be a source of empowerment for them to uh, be a better 
version of themselves now, not in the future, but right now, mm -hmm. to love themselves, to respect themselves, to admire themselves, to, you know, have consideration for themselves, to be true to themselves. But even if they don't know that it's okay that you don't know, it's okay that you're struggling, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things to just put it in a nutshell to say to anybody who would, for five seconds, listen, you don't have to be the product of the environment or the situation in which you experienced or was raised that caused you to be in the place where you are. Mm -hmm. You just don't have to be. You just don't have to be. And I feel like people don't hear that enough because people are so busy saying, you're broke, fix it. You know, you're down, get up. You know, you're off, get on. You mm -hmm. know, instead of, this is where I'm at. Yeah. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Well, you ain't give me no boots, so how am I gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps? I don't know what bootstrap is. What are you talking about? I don't know what that is. Let me get some boots first. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get the boots, and they don't have straps, and you're like, "Well, what's the straps they talking about?" Right. I don't understand. I got boots. So that that's probably over the top, encompassing in everything is that I just want people to realize that no matter what it is they're going through, no matter how it makes you feel. No matter how debilitating and disabling it is, you can begin again. Mm -hmm. You can live again. There is something after this. And I have a, a partner in my life now who he loves on me. He, he caters to me a lot. He loves my girls. He just has turned my life around, for lack of a better word. And we've been together almost 17 years. Mm. And I'm just sitting up like, I don't even know how you still with me. <laughs> but he loved me when my hair was braided to the back. He loved me when I had a nappy afro. He loved my locks. He really gave me what true acceptance is supposed to look like. And I think that's probably something that I didn't mention before that I probably could mention now that I think everybody would have to remember and want to think about as well. Sometimes the solution is you modeling something that you see in somebody else. You know, he showed me what true acceptance was by accepting me. Mm -hmm. Then I, in turn, am able to accept more because he showed me how to do it. He gave me those little tidbits of tools to use to accept. You know, my daughter, bless her heart, Maya, she has been the most lovingest child I ever gave birth to Jesus. She came <laughs> out just wanting to hug everybody, just wanting to hug the world. And I feel like that was God's way of saying, I'm going to give you somebody that's going to help you navigate in these places where you don't feel loved every time that little girl runs up to you and hug you. Mm -hmm. She didn't have to say she loved me, but she does. But just her excitement and her Oh my God, mommy, mommy, you know, mm -hmm. made me feel like I was the most important person in the room. And through her, I was able to say, well, maybe I do matter. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe somebody does love me. Maybe it's not all that bad. Maybe I can get through this because you take people and they give you just little pieces of themselves mm -hmm. and you realize, oh, that's what that looks like. Hmm. Okay. I can, and, get, I can give it yeah, that. Yeah, I can give it that. And she'll tell you right now, I still don't. Do the hugs too good. <laughs> but I'm accepting because I know what they mean. Mm -hmm. I know what they mean. And then even when we're on the phone, I love you, mommy. And sometimes I hang up and she'll 
you didn't tell me you love me and it's like literally oh my god i'm so sorry literally i oh. did that to my mom the other day mm-hmm. we were on the phone i said i love you mom and she hung up and I, yeah excuse me ma'am you didn't say you love me when yeah. you hung up the phone she was like oh, i thought you hung up on me yeah. since when do we hang up phones without saying i love you yeah i'm a, <clears throat> yeah. Love you, mom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now we can hang up. And so, for me, and she doesn't know this. I don't know if I told her. I probably did. I've said so much because I try. One of the things. Oh, we didn't talk about this, Jesus. I hate talking so much. We've been so long. One of the things that I really wanted to stress was that for me, I decided that the silence was going to stop with me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to hide. Whatever version of truth my parents had to do because of the way they were raised, you know, I was I grew up in an age where you don't ask, you don't tell. Mm-hmm. Kids were seen and not heard. You know, kids don't be a part of grown folks' conversations. I decided that that was going to end with my kids. We talk about everything. Mm-hmm. Probably some things they don't want to talk about, but they're going to say, my mama said that. Oh, God. And she embarrassed me. She made me feel bad. But I wanted them to have a freedom. Mm-hmm. If you're hurting, tell me you're hurting. Yeah. Even if I don't understand, even if we argue, don't bottle that in. For me, I bottled it in for so long, mm-hmm. not knowing what it was. And so that's something that I really, 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 really want people to get into their head. Now, it doesn't mean you just go rattling off all kind of random things to people just because you can share a conversation. I'm talking about truly. When it's a situation, if somebody hurts you, say something. And you keep saying something to somebody, listen. Mm-hmm. You don't just stop talking because somebody don't believe you or they blow it off or they, they feel some type of way about it mm-hmm. or because it's their husband or because it's their brother or because it's their son or daughter that they choose to not deal with it. No, it's wrong and it's never going to be right. Mm-hmm. So I try to give them that power. Talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. Uh, let it stop with me. Even simple as these are my mental illnesses. Even simple as this is my medical history. Even simple as my you're my POA. You know, mm-hmm. simple things that people don't think about until that situation comes and now you got to figure out what you're going to do. Right. No, I'm telling you up front, this is what we need to do. This is how it needs to be handled. This is what's going on. And to have that freedom of, no, I told somebody. I didn't keep it to myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't hide behind it again. And again, like I said, they may feel sometimes like, oh, mama, I'm not going to ever use that. I don't care nothing about that. But maybe somewhere as they grow older, in the back of their mind, it's going to hit and say, you know what? Now I appreciate why my mama shared this with me. Mm -hmm. Now it makes sense why I was witnessing this. Now it has value. You will. Because you have to understand everything you hear and everything that's said and told to you, it might not have value when you get it at In five. The moment. Uh-huh. It might not have value when you get to 15. Yeah. It may not have value till you get to 25 and 30. Listen, I'm sitting here at 30 and trust me. <laughs> then it comes back and go, ah, oh, yeah. Now it mm-hmm. makes sense. The biggest thing I probably I've learned and, and take away from it all is that I'm just so much more than anything that I've experienced. So to love me, to accept me, to embrace me and to share a better version of me with my kids, that is the wellness uh, plateau. Mm-hmm. That's the, the end of it. It doesn't take away or change what happened. It just means that what happened doesn't define who I am. Mm-hmm. And that makes me 
mentally well. Because of all that I've been through, most people would look at me and would not have a clue that I have any issues. Mm -hmm. That's also why I wanted to kind of come out here and like, you know, burn the stigma of what a person who's mentally unwell, what they look like. You know, Because it ain't who you think. I get it all. My chiropractor just the other day, I was talking to him about my mental, you know, mm -hmm. my mental illnesses. And he was like, I would never know. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the, to me, burning the stigma mm -hmm. in our community. Because what does mental health look like? Whatever happened to me doesn't define me. And I'm able to really embrace and enjoy life with my kids, with my partner. And create our happily ever after, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. So now I'm able to... Uh, be around family and you know travel and 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 buy things for my girls and and just do different things and do it with a smile on my face and with no sense of obligation or no terror or thought of anything that came from the past and life is grand I mean it ain't as well as it could be but it sure ain't what it was yeah mm. Mm -mm. <laughs> I just had to receive that for a minute um, okay <laughs> last thing give the allies that are watching this, the people who may not have been diagnosed, who may not feel like they have a mental illness, give them a piece of advice. How can they be in our corner? So my biggest, and I'm gonna talk to the, straight to the phone this time. The biggest advice I can give you, trust yourself. You know what you know, you feel what you feel. What happened, happened, it did what it did. Trust what you know. Don't let nobody tell you nothing different. But when you go through all that trusting and knowing, be wise enough to get help for yourself. You know, I'm older. I'm 55. Just celebrated my 55th birthday. And back when I was growing up, we didn't have all the resources available that we have now. I'm sure there are much better resources out there now. And I'm just saying, seek them. Be an advocate for yourself. How about that? Instead of waiting for somebody else to advocate for you, advocate for yourself and what you need. Because guess what? You're the best person that knows. Nobody else knows what you need. Nobody else knows what you've been through. Nobody else knows the level in which it impacted you. So when you go through all that you know and all that you do, get the help that you need, whatever that looks like. If it's therapy, if it's psychiatry, if it's medication, if it's group therapy, if it's talking to a pastor or a trusted friend, whatever that looks like for you. There, there, you know, and here's my teacher hat for five seconds. <laughs> there are no wrong answers. <laughs> Do what works for you. My daughter, bless her heart, she likes to read a book. She likes to read all kinds of books. If that's your vibe, read. If writing is your vibe, write. If singing is your vibe, sing. I usually call those things your weapons. Use your weapons. If that's your weapon, use it. Don't just sit on it because you don't understand something. Tell the doctor, I don't understand. One, one final thing for any partners, any of our loved ones, any of our, our people in our corner, how can they be there for us? Listen, listen, and listen. Don't say nothing, just listen. And I know that's hard, especially for some of us older folks. Just listen. If your kids say, mom, I'm tired, baby, come talk to me. Why are you tired? And just listen. You'll be surprised. 
But I used to have a saying that says, it's amazing what you find out when you just pay attention. If you're living around that loved one, you see when they're moving different. Mm -hmm. You know when something's off. Mm -hmm. You know when they're not talking as much, when they're sleeping poorly. The way my house is set up, I know when everybody go to the bathroom. I know when everybody go and open up the refrigerator. I hear it. I feel it. I sense it. Yeah. I would say listen. 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 And if you don't know, it's okay. Say I don't know. But also offer a solution. If you don't know, say, I don't know, but I'm going to try to find a solution for the both of us. And, and probably understanding that some of us older parents are really disconnected from the mental health issues and struggles of the younger people mm -hmm. because we were born in two different times. And so mental health in 1985 don't look like mental health in 2023. So don't expect the same result. Don't expect it to to manifest and and be able to be helped the same way. You you have to try what you can. Don't get me wrong, but it's two different things. Mm -hmm. it, it can't be lumped all the same. Every mother's not the same. Every child is not the same. So why would you lump the care of something like mental illness the same? Mm -hmm. You can't. Thank Beautiful. You. Uh, really, truly, my last question is: How did it feel to talk about yourself today? Scary. Uh, because some of those things I shared, I never shared out loud in public to anybody. Mm -hmm. So there's a fear because now, as, as they say, the cat is out the bag. So uh -huh. you can't put the cat back in the bag. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be some family that see this. And there are going to be questions. And that's okay. You can have all the questions you want in the world. Just respectfully. Mm -hmm. I may not choose to answer you. So it's okay. All the way around. Um, but I feel, you know, I feel like it was something that needed to be said, though, in, in, in even in that fear, because uh, I'm just crazy enough to believe even if I'm afraid, I'm going to say it anyway. Me too. Because what you going to do? <laughs> what you going to do? Mm -hmm. uh, but really, seriously, I, I felt like it was something that needed to be said because I really want people to be better and not my version of better but just what better looks like for you. And we just can't be better holding secrets. Mm -hmm. We can't be better holding grudges. Mm -hmm. We can't be better holding animosities. We can't be better not dealing with, as they call it, the elephant in the room. We were just gonna be honest and, and, and really deal with life for real. Like for real. So, um, I hope something that I said helps somebody, um, if nothing else, to make you think if nothing else to make you feel maybe differently about the next person that you may encounter that has an issue or something that you think is off or different or not quote-unquote normal because really what's normal really what's normal um and just be kind to one another because we only get one life to live and we don't know how our days are numbered and i would just never want somebody to come across my path and feel like I didn't give them love that they deserved, mm -hmm. that they needed, that was necessary for them to want to continue. No, I'm not perfect. Never said I was. But I just want people to feel like when they come around me that they matter. That is truly and honestly the only way we're ever going to heal is being open. Auntie, 
Thank you for being here today. Thank you You're for coming. Welcome. It's so good to see you. Yes. I'm so glad I got to see you, you today. Gotta give me a hug. Of course. I love this. Oh, <laughs> oh, I love you so much. Yes. Oh, anytime, anytime, anytime. Oh, my I know knees. it was a lot. I know we said a lot. Oh, yeah. Probably even missed some places and some things, but that's okay. Mm. Anytime, feel free to ask me. I did have a conversation with my girls. Maya tell you. And I said, if you all feel like that's something that you want to get on the podcast and talk about and share, I said, reach out, feel free. I'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. I'll help support it because I feel like really when you talk about mental illness and whatnot, there's no age. Mm -mm. So I feel like it benefits to hear it from the young folks, from the middle aged folk, from the older folk, because I feel like that's the only way people are really going to be able to understand it more and be able to deal with it, you know. Mm -hmm. Fairly, like for real. Yeah. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I will see you all next week. Next week is the very last episode of season one, and then we're moving on to season two. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> um. Again, thank you for being here. Thank y'all for pleasure. tuning in. Once my again, pleasure. my name is Dida Bionic. You know me. You know where I am. At Dida Bionic on everything. I'm linked all down below. It's called Branding. Look it up. <laughs> And I will see you all next week. Bye. Bye.